Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Last week, I sat down with Sarah Walker-Karen, a recipe developer and cookbook author, And we talked about ways to multitask in the kitchen and get dinner on the table quickly, even when you're pressed for time. If you missed it, be sure to go back and listen for Sarah's insider tips. So with Thanksgiving just a few days away, I know I cannot believe it, and Hanukkah and Christmas right around the corner, it's the season for sugar. There's pumpkin pie and Christmas cookies and candy and treats almost everywhere you go. My kids have already asked me when I'm making coconut macaroons for their teachers and if I can make chocolate truffles for them. And there is nothing more that I love than baking cookies with them. Kids should enjoy sweets this time of year, but the truth is that most kids are getting a dose of sweeteners all year long, and it's not only in the form of sugar. Artificial sweeteners have been around for more than a century, But today, it seems that they're showing up almost everywhere, and it begs the question, are they really safe? But I can say that we're starting to see that there's issues around the gut and the microbiome that these artificial sweeteners are affecting that negatively. That's Kimberly Gomer, a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in nutrition who specializes in medical nutritional therapy. She has over 25 years of experience coaching clients for health and wellness, and she's the director of nutrition at Body Beautiful Miami. Kimberly is also a well-known media expert who has been featured in outlets including CNN Health, Fox News Health, and Prevention. We talk about how to spot artificial sweeteners on labels and the surprising foods they show up in, plus what research is revealing about their safety and what you need to know. We also talk about ways to limit artificial sweeteners and sugar and some healthy and creative snack ideas for kids. You're going to walk away with so much science-backed information and helpful tips that you can use today. And I know you're going to love this interview with Kimberly Gomer. Kimberly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So let's talk about your story. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm older, so the story's long. So <laughs> I, started, I started on a diet when I was in utero as a fetus, believe it or not. And uh, that's because when my mother was pregnant with me, she said to her doctor, doctor, I'm gaining too much weight with this pregnancy. And the doctor put her on diet pills. Oh, my so gosh. I yes, and that's a true story. So I like to blame my mother, but, you know, on the dieting I did literally from childhood on. So I came to the point where I was very aware of my weight and unhappy with it and dieted and dieted and dieted, gained weight, lost weight, tried everything you can imagine. Back in the day, you couldn't go online and get a a diet like you can now or social media didn't exist. You had to go to the bookstore and get the lifestyle section and pick your poison. I had doctors put me on diets. I went on starvation diets. I was vegan. I was, I did everything. And at the end of the day, I was still overweight. So I decided, you know what? I am smart. I'm going to get to the root of the problem. So I decided to go back to school and become a registered licensed dietitian. So I go to school and then I go back and I get my undergraduate in nutrition. 
and then I get my master's in nutrition. And I feel like I'm going to walk down the aisle and at my graduation, there's going to be like the Wizard of Oz. Oz is going to say, hey, here's the magic for weight loss. Well, as you can imagine, Oz did not show up at my graduation, but I did. I kind of made my dream come true. I opened up a private practice. So I decided that what I wanted to do was help people get healthy, particularly help anybody, children, adults, get healthy without starving, without dieting. So I did that for about 10 years. Loved it. I was living in the, in the Midwest and I had a little bit of a lifestyle change. Uh, we, we moved to New Jersey and I was brand new in New Jersey with a resume that said she had a private practice for 10 years. So I decided to go uh, to the University of Pennsylvania and I uh, got a job in their research department in their weight and eating disorders uh, department. So it was a big research group there, very well known. And turns out I do not like research. I like people. I want to help people. So it wasn't a great fit for me, but it was great for my resume. So I decided I needed to find something to kind of stoke my creative uh, juices. So I ended up figuring out that every nursing program needs a dietitian to teach their students one class of nutrition. So that was me. I became a teacher for nursing students. So I enjoyed that. And then uh, the best thing in my life ever happened. I fell in love. And you know, there's nothing like love. And this guy that I fell in love with, we had one very, uh, very, very harsh New Jersey winter. And we said, let's move to Florida. So we picked up and we moved to South Florida. And my friend said to me, I guess you're going to get a job with uh, old age home because there's old people there. And sure enough, that did not happen. And I got kind of the job of my dreams. I worked at the Pritikin Longevity Center. I was the director of nutrition. And uh, I helped uh, families. People came in, whole families, single people, married people came from all around the world to Pritikin Longevity to get a, make a lifestyle change. So there was uh, doctors, nutritionists, uh, exercise physiologists, and they checked into the hotel and they uh, basically had a lifestyle change. They stayed for a week or two or three or a month. I provided nutrition lectures and then I did coaching for when they went home. So that's where I got a lot of experience in really helping people change their eating for the long term. So I did that for 10 years and I loved it. It was kind of the, my dream job. And then uh, my husband had been looking for a job change himself. He ended up deciding he was going to open up a company called Body Beautiful Miami. And it's basically a red light therapy contour company in Miami. So he opened up this company and the idea was that uh, we were going to, I was going to do nutrition eventually there, but he would just start that business. So it turned out that it was an amazing, it is an amazing business, but if people are losing weight uh, through the device, but they're not having any dietary changes, they, they can't keep it off. So the long and short of it is uh, a year ago, January, I decided to leave Pritikin, opened up a private practice and work not just for uh, the contouring business, but also have a private practice. So that's where I landed and that's where I am today. That's awesome. I love your story. So before we talk about artificial sweeteners, I think we need to talk about the sugar problem that we have in the U.S. with, you know, obviously we know kids are consuming too much, but what should parents know about sugar? Because I think often we think about 
the obvious sources of sugar, but we're not thinking about the sneaky sources and how much our kids are really getting. Yeah. So it's funny. I just moved to, um, from Miami to a city called Lighthouse Point, which is a boating community a little north. It's close to Boca. And there's a, the first thing I see is this big billboard that says, chances of being bit by a shark, one in 11.5 million, right? Yeah. Chances of getting prediabetes, one in three. So I first loved it because it's a boating community. So we love the whole shark situation. But the bottom line is that when we talk about kids, we can't ignore the adult problem because that's the root of it. If you take a seed and it's a rotten seed and you think you're going to get a beautiful tree or flower, it's not going to happen. And we're in a state of crisis. We've got a, we could maybe call it, I call it a pandemic. We could call it the um, epidemic of obesity, but we've got a pandemic. We have 4.9 million youth now who have obesity. And, you know, statistics are always lagging. So the, when I say the latest national survey of children, children's health, it's not, it's like probably from around 2018 because it takes that long for the statistics to catch up. But we find that about 16.2% of youth ages 10 to 17 are obese. And why do we care about that? Well, an overweight child has 90 to 95% chance of becoming an overweight adult. And if we've got an over this, which kind of brings me back to my first comment about one in three people have prediabetes, well, the root of prediabetes is insulin resistance. Once insulin resistance is the beginning, that's that very, people don't even know they have it, but that's where it starts. So 30% of all children are insulin resistant. And that insulin resistance pretty much is caused by a high sugar diet that leads to childhood obesity. We can say I can say very confidently that the ultra processed, the highly processed foods that are rampant in our country are responsible. And they've done some research and they've put kids, obese kids on, and they didn't even put them on any like strict diet. They just took all the sugar out and they still gave them bread and crackers and cereal, but just taking the sugar out they lost a significant amount of weight. So the sugar is at this foundation of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And and also I think something that's gaining more traction is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, right? Because that's becoming an increasing problem in, in children. This is called eating your way to liver disease, literally. And the reason why we're seeing it so much in kids is because it comes a lot from the sugary drinks, the fructose, the high fructose corn syrup, that's going right to the liver. So we're looking at this, it's the obesity. You don't have a child with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease who's not obese. It's all still coming down to this idea of, I have a seven-year-old client with type two diabetes. We used to call diabetes the adult, you know, it was like our grandparents got it, the old age disease, like, you know, grandpa got a little older and had a little pot belly, and then he became a type two diabetic. But we're seeing it in seven-year-olds. 
And we're seeing that an overweight child will be connected to an, an overweight adult. So unfortunately, if you're, you, that's back to blaming your parents. If you have one parent who is overweight, you've got a good chance of becoming overweight as yourself. And if you have two, you're really in trouble. And, and that has a lot to do with the environment. You know, we can, we can blame genetics. You know, you know somebody who eats whatever they want in their skinny, adult, kid, or otherwise. But there has to be this, there has to be the problem in the environment. And we, we see it where we have what we call this obesogenic environment, that there's so much access to poor quality food. It's abundant. Like, go to the grocery store. Take a look at the Oreo aisle. The fact that I say there's an Oreo aisle, there <laughs> right. used to be, I mean, there used to be like one kind of Oreo, right? And then they figured out what did people really like about the Oreos? They like that stuffing in the middle. So they double stuffed it and then they dipped it in chocolate. And as they did this, they added more and more and more sugar. And this is not a secret. We know that the food industry employs people to, to make the food addictive. So they, they don't just put sugar in it. They put this magical combination of sugar, fat, and salt, and they put several types of sugar to make it addictive. And anybody who has any problem with food knows that it's literally a drug. And by the way, let me just say, I have four children. I have 15 grandchildren, so I'm 61. So I'm not new in the game, but having four children, I know as a parent how hard it is not to use food as a reward. Because let me tell you, we are an environment, we are a culture that uses food as a reward. And I'm telling you, I know it's hard for parents. You say to your kid, if you eat your dinner, you get your dessert. That is the bribe that is used for everything and anything. You get a good A on your report card, you behave, you go to, you know, and we're using the reward and it's usually sugar-based, right? It's candy, it's cookies or whatever. And I understand that it's an easy, it's easy. And by the way, I have a master's in nutrition. I have had two private practices. I'm on my third one now. I know what working hard is. There is nothing harder than being a parent. It is the hardest job out there. So I am by any means not criticizing. And I have to say that in terms of fixing this cultural sugar problem, we can't, you know, when you're already so far into it, if you've got a 10-year-old who's obese in front of you, my advice for that child and the parents is very different than the two-year-old, right? So if the habits have already been put in place, and we have to back away slowly for them. That's where artificial sweeteners, you know, in my opinion, have a place. So Kimberly, what are artificial sweeteners? How do companies use them? And how can we spot them when we're looking at, at labels? So the, you know, kind of hard, high level definition, artificial sweeteners are synthetic sugar substitutes. They may be derived from naturally occurring substitutes, for example, like stevia. That's an herb or uh, a monk fruit, an herb, or uh, sugar itself, or they may be made in the lab. They're also known as intense sweeteners 
because anyone who's ever tasted Splenda, uh, sucralose, xylitol knows that it's way, way, way sweeter than sugar actually is. Uh, spotting them on the label, it's really easy. We always need to for anything, whether we're talking about sugar or fats or uh, grains, we want to read the ingredient list. And that is the best tool for anybody to use, parent or otherwise, to see what's in the product. And we're going to look at that uh, ingredient list, and it's going to list either um, aspartame, but aspartame got a bit of a bad rap. A lot of, you know, we know it is equal. That's kind of the official name, but aspartame would be listed and it got, it got some bad media. Uh, so they changed it to amino sweet. And it's kind of funny because it's exactly what amino sweet is. It's aspartame. But when you're looking at a label, depending on when they produce the label, it might now be called amino sweet. Uh, sucralose, um, acesulfame K, saccharin, which we don't see too much, xylitol, stevia. And then there's this whole, uh, when I say xylitol, there's this whole uh, branding of all these sugar alcohols that have OL at the end, sorbitol, malitol. And you should know that all of those sugar alcohols can cause digestive upset. And if you've ever tried to eat those sugar-free gummies as an adult <laughs> or a kid, they cause excessive gas, diarrhea. It's really, you really have to be careful. So um, as we talk about sugar substitutes, we need to know that there are definitely some hardcore side effects that, uh, that kids and adults can experience from them. Yeah. There are certain brands where you're looking, you're reading labels and they seem like better options, but they have those artificial sweeteners in, in there. And you're, you're surprised, right? And so what are some other products that we may see these artificial sweeteners showing up? So when you look at the food label, you're going to see total sugar in the product. And then you're going to see added sugar. So that's, that's another place to look when you look at the nutrition fact label. So that will tell you how much of the products in there. So if you see total sugar, that, that would be natural sugars, like for example, the sugar that would be naturally found in, in ketchup would be the tomatoes. But we don't like just like boiled tomatoes for our ketchup. We want it to taste sweet. So some companies will add, uh, for example, balsamic vinegar, and that kind of makes it taste a little bit sweeter. And that tastes good without having to add uh, sucralose in it, which is what a lot will use. And you, you know, when it says added sugar zero, but the product still tastes sweet, that there's probably a good chance that there is a sugar substitute, stevia, sucralose, something like that lurking. Um, but the, the problem is, is that when we see added sugars, most of us now know, okay, this, this product has been, it has sugar in it, that's not going to be good. But to your point, there's still going to need something to be sweet. And I can tell you from being the queen of I love ketchup, so I have tried probably every ketchup known to man that is no sugar, because if you're a ketchup eater and you use it maybe daily, you don't want the one that has corn syrup and those kind of things in it. And I really like the Primal Kitchen, uh, no sugar ketchup. I, I think we use they it, use, yeah. it's the best. They use the best tasting. I mean, you can get a no sugar one from Heinz and there's other, but that Primal Kitchen, I really, I think that that company 
they really have in terms of the products, high level ingredients in their products. And, and again, to the point of if your child or you, if your child's using something every day, you want them, you want it to taste good. And you also don't want them getting necessarily a big hit of sugar substitute or artificial sweetener. And so has anything changed in recent years with COVID supply chain disruptions or inflation where companies are using these artificial sweeteners more? You know, I think that companies go where the money is. And when there's a lot of interest in uh, artificially sweetened products, they're, they're going to be going from for it. And I have not, you know, thank God we have Amazon and they can deliver to us so you could get like, I have not seen a supply chain problem at all, but I know that there are some companies that say that they have delayed um, delivery of products because of COVID. I mean, that's definitely real. Not necessarily, I don't necessarily think from artificial sweeteners, I think from just generally, uh, you have, we have seen it, but I think it's really calming down. And so are there myths about artificial sweeteners? Well, I think what the real myth is, or the real misunderstanding, is that because there's a FDA approval that it's GRAS, G-A-R-S, generally recognized as safe, there's this idea that it's good, right? Like, it's okay. It's safe. I can trust FDA. But just because something is recognized as safe does not mean it's good for you. So I, I want to start with the, the, the you know, premise that there's a lot of chemicals in these. That's what a lot of them are. They're chemicals. And herbs can kill you too. A mushroom can kill you. So when we look at these products, we really want to understand that sugar, not high fructose corn syrup, but sugar in very in small amounts may be better and healthier than artificial sweeteners, right? Because these artificial sweeteners are known to can cause digestive upsets, can be, by the way, so much sweeter than, uh, than real sugar. So then the brain says, oh my God, something really sweet's going in. And what the newest research is starting to say, and I, I cannot say this for sure, but I can say that we're starting to see that there's issues around the gut and the microbiome that these artificial sweeteners are affecting that negatively. And anyone who knows anything about the microbiome and all these bacteria, it's very hot in the research now. And that makes me, um, as a nutritionist, very nervous about telling people to use artificial sweeteners freely because if you mess with your biome, and you have gut issues, that's a big inflammatory response. And that is really a problem. So again, what I would say, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of depends on the person. There are, there are some people who really need to use artificial sweeteners because this child has to lose weight. And calorie for calorie we're going to save on the artificial sweeteners compared to the sugar, right? So understanding that we know and we feel comfortable with, well, it's safe, the artificial sweeteners, but how much? So my, my position is a little bit, you can hear a little bit wobbly, but it's not. If I already have an obese child in front of me, 
I'm going to say it's worth it for them to get off of the sugar by using the artificial sweeteners and in tandem by eating less sugar. You know, no child becomes obese because they are in an extremely healthy environment. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, unfortunately, yes, there are some genetics that are involved, but we have to look to the family. We have to take each child where they're at. So if I have a child who's drinking juices and sodas and sugary drinks, that, that needs to stop. And trying to tell a child that they have to drink water or seltzer, the club, you know, seltzer instead of, you know, something sweet, it's not going to work for them. So in that case, they would definitely do better with an artificially sweetened drink, you know, as a short-term type of, uh, you know, transition. And in terms of safety overall, are there certain kids who really should not be consuming artificial sweeteners? One group is the kids who have PKU. Uh, phenylketonuria, or it's called PKU, and they can't metabolize phenylalanine. And that's the amino acid that's found in aspartame. So those parents are very clear. They know exactly because this is comes up in when the, the child's an infant. So they know that they can't have that. that. But for the rest of the, the children, um, I believe that it's that digestive uh, sensitivity that they need to be careful with um, if they're having any type of uh, reaction to them. Uh, And again, do we believe that using artificial sweeteners can reduce insulin sensitivity? So we want our cells to be very sensitive to insulin so that when we eat, the insulin does its job. So some things that potentially may make our bodies less insulin sensitive, one is belly fat. So the more belly fat you have, the less sensitivity you have. And there is now research that potentially sugar substitutes, because of the strength of their sweetness and because of what they're made of, that they're affecting uh, insulin sensitivity. And as I mentioned before, gut bacteria. I think they are safe. Um, like I would totally say, if we're looking at a kid again who's obese, I'm not concerned that that's going to hurt them in the short term. But I am concerned about long-term use and the, you know, it's the dose response. How much of it are they having? So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about tips for limiting sugar and artificial sweeteners in our kids' diets. Cooking with your kids is one of the best ways to encourage them to eat healthy and try new foods. I know it's definitely helped my kids. So if you're looking for a holiday gift that isn't a toy this year and that you can also enjoy together when you're stuck indoors during the winter then the Kids Cook Real Food e-course is for you. In this course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. Delicious. This course is designed for kids of all ages, two to teen, and has three different skill levels. My kids and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. 
If you want your kids to be healthy, adventurous eaters, sign up by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. As a busy working mom, I don't have time to run from store to store, especially around the holidays. But with Thrive Market, I don't have to. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable, and they ship everything to your door. You'll find everything you need for the holidays, including ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, baking essentials, and snacks for the kids. It's all organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. They even have curated shopping lists that make holiday prep a breeze. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a low income family. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. All right, Kimberly. So let's talk about some easy, realistic ways that we can pull back on the sugar and the artificial sweeteners when we're feeding our kids throughout the week? So the first thing is to make it a family affair. Uh, If I don't want my child to eat chocolate chip cookies, then I don't want chocolate chip cookies in the house. And by not having chocolate chip cookies in the house, I'm helping the health of my whole family. So this idea that it's a punishment to not have junk food, that, that story needs to be changed, right? And yes, there again are transitional things that you can make. There's lots of recipes out there for healthier baked goods and treats and things like that. So that would be again, this transitional step, but the, the place to start is what is currently in your home and how are your children and your family eating? What do I mean by that? Is the family having a dinner together? Let's not talk about even what's in that dinner. Are they sitting down to the table to dinner as a family? Because the research shows that if you want your child not to use drugs, that reading to them, you know, we love to read to our kids, that is not as effective as having a dinner with your family. So the effectiveness of a family dinner to the child's experience is huge. So trying to make, you know, dinner and food uh, happen as a family. Also, the first thing I teach people, kids and adults, is that we have to stop eating with in front of the TV, with social media in front of us. And I, and I hate to say this, because again, I know how hard it is to be a parent. But when I see a child eating with an iPad in front of them, this is not unusual. I mean, they can't, this is typical behavior because they put on their little headphones and they watch their iPad and that's how they get them to eat. So we call this mindless eating and we want to be mindful because as a child, if a child is watching uh, a screen while they're eating, they do not get a satiety signal or adult, by the way. That's why eating in front of the TV, you can continue to eat and eat. So satiety, how full you are, is affected by several things. Um, There are hormones, ghrelin and leptin, that tell you you're hungry and you're full. 
but the brain has to be on, be aware. And when there's distraction, not listening to music, not talking to family, but when there's, uh, you know, an iPad or TV on, they don't get the, the satiety signal. And then if you're eating foods that are this ultra processed, sugary, high processed, it's hard to stop eating them because they don't make you feel full. They don't give you satiety. They're addictive. So you keep eating them and eating them. And, and you see, you know, children and adults polishing off a lot of food. If I put a piece of grilled salmon and broccoli in front of the kid, they don't beg for more. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. they don't ask for more. And the adults don't either. So making sure, forget the treats we're giving our children, but making sure that we as a family are sitting down to a meal that has protein that has a vegetable and that has, you know, healthy carbohydrates and healthy fats in them. Again, you know, what happens for me in my practice is a child comes to me really for mainly two different reasons. One, they have a food allergy and their parent, the mother and father are concerned that they don't get the right nutrition. And it's funny because people who have children with food allergies, they give them their kids the best nutrition because they're not eating all this junk and they're so aware of the food. So I always laugh. They're just like, oh my God, you, you have a gold star because generally these kids are, are fed so much better. And then the second one is childhood obesity. So I have a, you know, expertise in weight management, both from a personal and a professional. It's been my, my, uh, really my love and my passion. I'm obsessed with helping people get healthier. And if I get the opportunity to do it, as a child who's not obese. So when I worked at Pritikin, I was able, families would come in just for, to teach their kids healthy living and healthy eating. So that was a great opportunity because then you're not having the whole stigma of overweight and all of the family dynamics that come with, with an overweight child. But um, in any case, every child and every adult needs to eat healthy food. And the less processed, sugary junk food they eat, the more energy they'll have. I mean, behavioral issues. We can have a very thin child who has horrible behavioral issues and they're sitting and eating goldfish and, and, and they're picky eaters, right? So we need uh, children with asthma are very aggravated by sugar and junk food. So I'm not just pointing the finger at the overweight child. But again, that overweight child risk for type 2 diabetes and, and diabetes and heart disease, it's still the num- number one killer in our country is diabetes and heart disease and stroke. And that doesn't happen uh, without insulin resistance. So that is where we need to start. That's, you know, one in two people have insulin resistance. One in three are pre-diabetic. Um, and it's all reversible. That's the exciting point. You know, it's exciting that you know, God forbid your child has cancer, your child has uh, a really bad diagnosis, but you can actually pave the way for your child and your family. And it's just not just the food. It's how's the family living? Are they doing, are they active? Are they doing activities that are active together? So being a mom of four, and I think you said 15 grandchildren, I have four. My husband has two. 
So I've got 10 and he has five, but they're all mine. So we have 15 grandchildren and it is a beautiful thing. Yes. So what are your favorite snack and treat ideas that use real food ingredients, no added sugars, no artificial sweeteners? So I really encourage my clients to really try not to do a lot of snacks with kids. The reason why children need so many snacks is because they are on this uh, cyclone of eating sugar and eating processed carbs, so they constantly get hungry. If a child or an adult eats a meal that is protein-centered, it will hold them longer. So the first thing is, let's not call it a snack, but let's call it food. So if your child's hungry and they want a grilled chicken wrap, that sounds like a funny snack because that's a meal, but that's what you want to give them. And you want to give them, uh, you know, veggies and dip and, you know, real food instead of trying to do bars and, you know, healthier slash baked goods and things like that. Let's get away from that and let's give them, and children, they love fruit. Give them strawberries, give them yogurt, give them those kind of foods, but try really hard to get out of the habit that a child has to eat every five minutes because they don't. They need to sit for a meal and eat enough food that it will hold them, right? And if it doesn't, of course, you know, to offer them, but to really get away from anything that is packaged, even if it's quote unquote healthy, it's still this processed food uh, that we want to try to get away from. So Kimberly, you know, Thanksgiving is just a few days away. Christmas will be here before we know it. How can we be mindful about artificial sweeteners around the holidays? So I would just say that, you know, the holidays are to enjoy and part of that enjoyment is going to be eating sweets and treats. And I always laugh because nobody has a problem with health or weight because of what they ate on Thanksgiving or Christmas. The problem is, is that they ate Thanksgiving and it lasted a whole week. So I would just say to be mindful that you're not overdoing it with any treat, be it artificially sweetened or regular. Like I don't believe in make make your Christmas cookies with sucralose. No, you still have a processed product. Make them so they're gonna taste delicious, however that works for you. But don't make as many and and have them, you know, have limited amounts. And I say, like, don't feel that we have to have this abundance of junk food. Have, you know, Thanksgiving, the turkey, it's a beautiful center of the meal. Make that the center of the meal. Yes, have your pumpkin pie. Fine. You know, if you make it homemade without the processed seed oils and all the junk, even better. If not, it's one day. So. I tend to not get too um, overworked up about the holidays because that's the day you should be splurging. Well, Kimberly, this was such a fun conversation we had today. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Uh, So you can go to bodybeautifulmiami.com. That's where they can find me. Bodybeautifulmia is our Instagram as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you. Happy holidays. I had so much fun chatting with Kimberly. She says, let's not call it a snack. Let's call it food. Such a subtle shift that could make a big difference in how we feed our kids. Definitely head on over to her website to learn more, which I've linked to in the show notes. 
Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.